As we begin, I'd just like to to start with a a short prayer. Father God, we thank you that uh, your presence is here with us. And as we look at your word, we pray that you would meet each of us where we are today, meet us at our point of need, and that you would open your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to look at the story of the healing of the man born blind. Uh, But I don't know about you, in the past two weeks we've had the Olympics, which has been great. It's just sad that some of the finals were, you know, like two or three o'clock in the morning, uh, which which isn't very good. But I really did enjoy the Olympics. And if you looked at the Olympics, you would know it was in Rio, uh, Rio is in Brazil. Brazil is a country, a large country in the eastern part of South America. Uh, but on the opposite side of South America, in a, in a strip of a country on the southwestern edge, is a country called Chile. And um, you may recall that around 2010, word came out of Chile that 33 miners were trapped on the ground, 2,000 feet on the ground, because of a mining accident. They were sealed inside the mountain by a mega block of stone, some 770,000 tons heavy. Now, this is the weight, twice the weight of the Empire State Building in New York, which goes 103 stories high. So, from the point of view of these miners... It's an impossible situation. Now, eventually, the authorities were able to dig a rescue tunnel to the miners. And on the 69th day, they came out one by one. Now, CBN News in America interviewed a miner whose name was Jose Enriquez. And he was called the pastor who helped his companions from darkness into light. The 33 miners needed more than food and physical strength to survive 2,000 feet underground during those two months. His faith in God was key in helping his companions to hold on to hope. Jose led the men in devotions twice a day, crying out to God with the other miners. It was his knowledge of God's word that served him well because he didn't have a Bible to lead those devotions with, but he drew it out of his heart to be able to share with his companions. Now, after he got out, Jose was welcomed in his hometown, and the the mayor named him an honorary citizen. But this is what he said. He said, the true hero is Jesus Christ. He's the only hero who should be mentioned. Apart from whatever man may have done, both inside and outside that mine, he is the one who deserves the honor and the glory. Now that, I'm sure, was a very frightening experience for those men. And their experience living in darkness, their experience of living in darkness was temporary. But for the man in our story, living in darkness was a permanent feature of his life. Because he'd been born blind. So, if you could turn with me to John 9, and we will read verses 1 to 17 if you have a Bible. And we'll just have a read through that story. 
Uh, it is going to come up on the overhead behind me as well. Reading from verse 9. And it says, As he went along, and this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. They They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Now the background to this miracle is that it occurred during the festival of the tabernacles. This was about six months before Jesus' crucifixion. The gospels recorded that Jesus healed quite a few blind people. Now, people becoming blind in Jesus' day was very common. And that was because there was poor sanitation. So someone can get an infection in their eyes. And because they didn't have the kind of medicines that we have these days, that person could easily go on to become blind and lose their sight. If that was the case, then people could see and know a reason why that person became blind. But what about someone born blind? This mystery meant that people developed theories why someone would be born blind. Hence, the disciples questioned to Jesus. Their question was, who's to blame? Some people believed that it was as a result of sin. The parents sin, or even that a child could sin while in the womb. Being born blind was seen as some sort of punishment or a curse. 
But Jesus' response to this question was that the man was not blind due to, to his sin or, or to the sin of his parents. It's not a generational curse, Jesus is saying. Jesus said that this man's condition exists so that God could be glorified. And you know, sometimes God's purpose in allowing suffering is to put his work on display. And it might be through healing someone. But it also could be to help that person to develop perseverance even through difficulty. Or maybe in some other way. Is Jesus therefore saying there is never any connection between sin and suffering? Well, if we take a step back, we know that when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, sin came into the world, and with sin, suffering. And that's why in Revelation 21, verse 4, after it's declared that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, God says to us, there will be no, no more suffering, no more grief, and no more death. So when God's perfect order is restored, there will be no more sin and no more suffering. But sometimes there are consequences to personal sin that causes suffering. But also, God sometimes allows suffering when there's absolutely nothing at all to do with sin. Now, two standout examples in the Bible. One, Job in the Old Testament, who was an upright man and godly man. And he suffered. And there's Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, who had to endure a thorn in the flesh, some form of suffering, but it was nothing to do with him being punished or anything for sin. In this particular case of the man born blind, it wasn't the fault of the man or his parents. And I think when we approach issues such as this, we must approach them with the confidence that our God of love is gracious, compassionate, and also that he's in control of all situations. Now, in our story, the man born blind, is, he's having a normal day. He would have gotten up, he would have had his breakfast, he would have washed, and he would have gone to his place where he begged. Maybe someone had to take him to that place. He would have had absolutely no expectation that he would have an encounter with God on that day. And our passage casually says, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. But if you look at Jesus' answer to his disciples concerning the man's condition, being there to reveal God's glory, then it's easy to think that this was no chance encounter. This man wasn't looking for God, but God came looking for him. And I think the wonderful thing about the gospel is that a loving God comes looking for you and me. God comes looking for us. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While there was still a barrier separating us and God because of our sin, and even while we could do nothing to make ourselves acceptable to God, 
God comes looking for people who might have no interest in him whatsoever. Even for people who might not even believe that he exists. Romans 5 verse 10 says, For for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved to his life? Even while we were enemies, God comes looking for us. This is something wonderful about the gospel. Now, we are here today because the God of love came looking for us at some point in our life. You might think that there was a time when maybe you got a bit interested and you felt and you started to look for God. But the truth is, God always initiates. God comes looking for us. In fact, Romans 3 verse 11 says, there is no one who seeks God. You might be here and you might think, I'm not even sure if I have a relationship with God. But if there is a stirring in your heart to find out what life is really about, it's because God has placed that desire and that hunger in you. The God of love comes looking for us. My story is that I grew up in a Christian home, went to church, thought it was extremely boring and had absolutely nothing positive to do in my life. And uh, the rule in our house was that when you were 16, you could decide whether you wanted to stay in church, come to church or not. And my plan was that at 16, I would be as far away, I would run as far away from anything religious or to do with God or anything. But at 16, God came looking for me. And I am so glad that he did because my life has never been the same. Now in the story, we see that God speaks to this man. And God speaking to this man sets off a chain of events that transforms his life. Jesus speaks into this man's life and changes his destiny. Now, when Jesus spoke to this man, he imparted enough faith for this man to get up and go to Salem. When he left Jesus, he could not see. And maybe, who knows, he had to convince someone to actually take him to Siloam. This man's reaction is in contrast to a story in the Old Testament of an army commander called Naaman. And this story is found in 2 Kings 5. Naaman came to the prophet Elijah seeking healing from God. And Elijah sent his servant out to him and said, go dip in the river Jordan seven times. And Naaman was incensed because he expected Elijah to come out, perform some kind of religious ceremony, call upon God, and right there and then for him to be here. But the instruction, go and wash, was not pleasing for, for Naaman. But Naaman had a servant who said, 
if you were asked to do some great thing, wouldn't you do it? Why don't you go and wash? And he, he went and he washed, and he was cleansed of his leprosy. Many times when God speaks, he calls on us to exercise faith, and he gives us enough faith to take the next step. But we do need to exercise faith. There's another miracle in the Gospels with Jesus, Luke 17, verses 11 to 19, where Jesus sends 10 lepers to go show themselves to the priests to confirm their healing. Like this man, when they walked away from Jesus, they were still lepers. But the Bible says that as they were going, they were healed. I want to encourage us to be expectant that we will hear from God and that we will encounter God. Now, it might be in a Sunday meeting like this. It might be in our midweek group. It might be in our quiet time or even discussing with a friend. But when God speaks, he gives us enough faith to take the next step in our journey with him. When God speaks, he brings light into darkness. We need to hear from God for situations. Sometimes it's a word that helps us to hang on in tough times. Sometimes it's bring, it brings revelation and understanding to help us to trust him more in our walk. Sometimes it brings guidance and correction. But we need to be expectant that God will speak. God's word always challenges and exposes darkness. And it will increase our faith. God's word also comes with power and with his authority. Now another thing to notice in this story uh, you know, Jesus could have healed this man immediately because he did that many times in the, in, in, in the Gospels. Uh, I mean, even the story we looked at a few weeks ago uh, with a paralytic at a pool. But he chose to do things differently in this case. Uh, and we don't know why he used saliva to make mud um, or why he even sent the guy to the pool of Siloam. However, just as an aside, in those days, saliva was thought to have medicinal powers. And as we found out reading, the, the very act of mixing his saliva with a little bit of dirt to create mud got him into trouble with the Pharisees because that act was considered work and therefore breaking the Sabbath. Now, it appears that Jesus did things differently because he wanted to take this man on a journey of faith. You see, later in the story, in a, a part of the story that we haven't read, but I would encourage you to read the whole story uh, when you get home, the Pharisees obviously didn't believe that this man was born blind. So they sent for his mother and father, uh, and his mother and father confirmed that, yeah, this is our son, and he was born blind, but actually we don't know how he came to be seen. So the Pharisees questioned the man again, and the man, you know, was, uh, you know, he said to them, I've told you already, 
But maybe you want to become Jesus' disciples as well. Now that got them really angry. And so they threw him out of the synagogue. And so we pick up the story in verse 35. And it's going to come up on the overhead. And I'll just read a few verses. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me. So that, I may, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Let's look at this man's journey of faith. When his neighbors ask him how he came to see, he said, the man who's called Jesus put mud on my eyes, sent me to wash, and I, and I, and I started to see. When the Pharisees, the first time they spoke to him, and they said, who do you think Jesus is? The man said, he's a prophet. So the man's understanding and revelation had moved from Jesus the man had done something for me to Jesus the prophet. Jesus, the man sent from God, had done something for me. And when in the end, he meets Jesus again and he gets a full revelation of who Jesus really is, He says, Lord, I believe. He's saying, Jesus, who is Lord, has done something for me. So that's his journey. It was a man who did something, a man sent from God. And now, Jesus, the Lord, and I believe. This is a journey of salvation. Having received his physical healing... The man has now received spiritual healing. The man has now come into a relationship with God. You see, the story didn't end with the man's physical healing because Jesus wants us to know that there is something even more magnificent than physical healing. And this is in no way to downplay the fact that people who have disabilities and people who are suffering from sicknesses, and people who are going through tough times are having a really hard time. It in, it in no way downplays it. And actually, as we see from this passage, I would encourage you to keep praying for your healing, to keep seeking God for answers. And God, who is loving and gracious and kind, will meet you at your point of need. But nevertheless, Jesus is saying, there is something more magnificent than physical healing. And that is coming to know him, coming into a relationship with him. You see, the miracle or an answer to prayer, it is not a destination. It's a signpost on your journey, pointing to Jesus and letting you know that he is all that you will ever need. 
But you see, such a journey isn't just for the person coming into a relationship with Jesus in the first, at the first time. I believe that Jesus takes us all on similar journeys throughout our Christian lives. Now, wouldn't it have been great in some ways if the story we read was, you know, the man gets healed, he goes home rejoicing, his neighbors join him in celebration, and they have a big party, and then the man lives happily ever after, you know? But sometimes things are just not that straightforward. Instead, God speaks into this man's situation. The man exercises faith. He goes to wash in Siloam. He goes home rejoicing, but instead of his neighbors rejoicing with him, they argue, they disbelieve. Is it him? Isn't it him? You know? Then he gets hauled before the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and they question him, and they disbelieve. And then his parents are dragged into the situation, into the story, and they get questioned. And you might forgive this guy for thinking, I thought my healing was a great, powerful, you know, positive thing. But actually, I've just got a lot of pressure and a lot of trouble. And I wonder if you can relate to that. Sometimes God speaks into your life, speaks into your situation. You go home with joy. It might be in a Sunday morning meeting. It might be something, say, something at work. And you say, God has spoken to me. And then the next day... Everything kicks off, and you think things seem to be going worse when I think they should be going better. But you see, it's because you're on a journey, and God wants to take you on a journey. And if we look at the man's story, there was a lot of pressure and all of that, but in the end, what he got was a revelation of God, a revelation of Jesus that he'd never had before. And that's what God wants for us. Whatever he's taking us through, it is that in the end, you will see Jesus greater, brighter, bigger. And that revelation will change your life and will change your destiny. If we can go back to our story of the Chilean miners. Now, at the end of their time on the ground, 20 of those miners came to faith in Jesus. They had not just been rescued from physical darkness, but they had also been rescued from spiritual darkness. And while many people would have said it's a, it's a miracle that they came out alive at all, those men had a testimony that actually a miracle had taken place in their heart. They had been rescued from the mine one by one, And that's the way God brings us into his kingdom, one by one. So if this morning you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus as yet, I would like to encourage you to seek that relationship, which actually is the greatest miracle you will ever experience on earth. The God of the universe comes to live in us through a new spiritual birth, And gives us life with him for eternity. He washes our sins away. And he renews our mind over time uh, as part of helping us to become more and more like Jesus. 
And if you're a believer here today, then the message is still the same. You have received the greatest miracle you can receive on earth. Because every healing, every miracle, every answer to prayer, every fantastic work of God is still a signpost that points to his magnificent son, Jesus, as one on whom we must build the rest of our lives. And so for us, we shouldn't say, ah, I came to salvation, you know, someday in the past and maybe I move on. We will never move on from Jesus. He will forever be our focus. He will forever be the passion of our lives. He is the foundation on which we build our lives. And if we think about growing up and maturing in Christ, what it is, is that as we grow, we only grow because we sink our roots deeper and deeper into this foundation who is Jesus. Jesus is the focus of our lives. And God's purpose is to transform us to become more and more in the image of his Son. In fact, in 1 John 3, 2, it says, But we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He's saying when we have the ultimate revelation of who Jesus is, we will be transformed to become like him. But for now, as God gives us more and more snapshots of who Jesus is, we gradually become more and more like him. Now in this passage, Jesus urged his disciples and he said, we must work the works of the Father, work the works of the kingdom while it's light. Uh, And we know that Jesus left and Jesus is seated on the right hand of the Father. But the good news is that because God's Holy Spirit has been shed abroad, because God's Holy Spirit lives in us, Jesus is still with us by his Holy Spirit. God's light is still here, and we can still work the works of the kingdom because it is still light. And as we do that, like this man in the story, we can help many others to move from maybe this position of Jesus the man to being able to confess that Jesus is Lord. Thank you.